This podcast is brought to you by Masterworks, the platform for investing in contemporary blue chip art. Skip the waitlist and invest in blue chip art today for the very first time by signing up for Masterworks at masterworks.art slash Moore's Law is Dead. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BrokenSilicon for 25% off Windows keys or DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. All right, now let's get on with the show. Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by someone, well, someone I've been talking to for a while that I've been trying to get down into an episode. As you can imagine, someone like this is very busy, and there's kind of a lot of back and forth and setting of ground rules before you do a recording like this, but I've got someone on today who's going to remain anonymous, and I guess I'll say this now for you. Just to be safe, you know, despite being anonymous, despite us not going into depth on anything you didn't say was safe to talk about ahead of time, your thoughts are your own. I assume you want it to be said and not the representations of any company, including Intel. But uh, yeah, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us as little or as much as you want to about yourself, Mr. Anonymous Intel Engineer. All right. Yeah. Like Tom introduced, uh, I'm an engineer at Intel on the architectural design side. There's many sides of Intel. Intel could be sort of seen as the uh, combination of two companies uh, of the architectural design side and the manufacturing side. I'm working on one of the next generation server platforms here. And I've been here since end of college. Um, I, I am uh, deep into one specialty right now, in the, and in the short run, I'm preparing for a critical phase of the project, which is uh, about to start very soon. But in the medium-long run, I am thinking about moving out of my current specialty to focus on a different, uh, different te- uh, technical specialty and role. I feel truly blessed to be here at Intel, uh, one of the uh, dedicated Team Blues. But I, I do want to say beforehand, uh, Intel, uh, um, all three major, uh, well, uh, d- depending on how you look at it, um, all three major companies, Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA, they're all very close to my heart. I've known them since, since I was uh, in middle high school, and I've, I've, been, uh, I've sort of ha- um, been following them ever since on you know, what they're up to, what their upcoming products are. I, I felt very passionate about it, uh, passionate about uh, the semiconductor computing industry. And it's regrettable uh, a bit that I won't be able to go into technical details. Mm-hmm. I do not want to communicate in a way where uh, my specialty is given away or that I, I say um, more uh, about upcoming products that then is uh, that that would be crossing a, uh, crossing a line. And especially after. Um, some few incidences uh, in, the, in the last few years, I've been specifically warned that disclosing technical details about an upcoming product could uh, result in my uh, anywhere from my dismissal <laughs> to a lawsuit. So I, I want to be very careful here, but I, I'm hoping to have uh, be as open as I can be and have a good conversation today 
and um yeah and yeah <laughs> okay yeah. yeah um well so what i would say and it's interesting you touched on something here i i, I won't say which website that tends to cover lots of leaks i was talking to which one of the heads of the website but this person asked me you know you know for one of your recent leaks i guess you did put out something similar to what we did but like why don't you just post the actual schematic the actual roadmap the actual specifications sheet and i was like and i think you touched on this I actually don't think AMD and Intel care as much if someone gets a hold of an IPC estimate early. They care much more if you have anything that can describe how they actually got to that IPC. Because right, <laughs> that's yeah. the stuff that would compromise competitiveness. Not mm -hmm. AMD knowing Intel might get 20% higher IPC in a given generation. AMD can probably almost assume that based on the node they're going to, mm -hmm. things they're hearing. It's how they got there that's dangerous to actually leak out and that's why and i know it makes some people mad and frankly it makes some people not take me seriously sometimes but it's like too bad but I, i'm not posting internal documents almost ever because i know that even if i don't think it looks like it's sensitive there could be a little things on there that are like really sensitive which is, i think what you were kind of hinting at there too yeah so and i guess this is a good time for me to jump in and say even though i do have some sources at intel that i use for some of my leaks you're not one of them you're not, you know, and there's actually a lot of people I talk to at AMD, Intel, NVIDIA, the list goes on and on of like companies, companies that work with these companies that aren't even at them, where they're not really sources so much as they're people where I go, hey, I know you're working on a project at this one company. Do you think AMD has done a good job? Do you think it's hit the expectations? Like some people I talk to at Intel or AMD, it's literally just to have an informed discussion with someone who actually knows what's going on or something, not to gain information. And so I guess I just want to throw that out there that, number one, you're not someone that I've used for any of my leaks. And then number two, I mostly wanted to have you on not to get secret little things out of you in a podcast today, but just to talk to someone who actually works at one of these companies because, and the dozens of people I've talked to over the past few years to like form my leaks and stuff, I think one thing that gets lost in the messaging is that you're all real people. There are tens of thousands of people working mm -hmm. at these companies. And these are people that have a favorite restaurant that might like cars that like going fishing that have a favorite vacation spot that have a favorite TV show that, you know, like watching devs. I know one person at Intel who loves that show um, or like Westworld or something in that you're a real person. And I guess that's kind of one of the opening questions I have for you today. What do you think one of the biggest misconceptions are that you see online about the people who actually work at these companies, including Intel? Yeah, I think uh, some of the biggest misconceptions of Intel AMD, we are much deeper and um, more diverse entity beyond what sales, marketing, or customer-facing executives sort of portray us as. And we get sort of get uh, boxed in and stereotyped based on, you know, some of the statements of, you know, the CEOs to what uh, this marketing person, you know, who uh, went, out and, uh, went, out, went out and said something. There are many tens of thousands real people working here. 
there are many uh, factions and subcultures. For example, sales and marketing at Intel, uh, they are a very different organization and they have a different uh, they have a different mindset than uh, someone who would be working in design and architectural side and their experience of Intel is a little different than uh, someone who'd be working in the fabs for example um, but what I could say is Intel uh, especially uh, because Intel is so big uh, we sort of get this like false stereotypes about us being like a big uh, corporate model uh, soulless co- corporate monolith mm-hmm. uh, that's not if I know one thing for uh, working for this company for years is is built and driven by people who truly care about you know what they're doing and for for Intel and and I, I'm sure for AMD and Nvidia they're driven by similar uh, mission statements although we are uh, fierce competitors of you know greater mission of enabling and empowering the world at least the digital world through our products and um, continuing to push uh, uh, limits of humanity forward and continuing to uh, uh, push forward the unlikeliest uh, uh, law, uh, unlikeliest technical law there is uh, of, of Moore's law. I mean, although I mean this channel's Moore's law is dead, but the spirit of Moore's law of being able to uh, uh, redefine limits each every product generation and every two three years uh, or you know uh, well or every year uh, whatever the product cadence is yeah is really uh, uh, driven built by tens of thousands of smart very motivated people who truly care yeah about what they do. Well, one thing I want to touch on is when you said everyone assumes you're a monolith, and I, this is such a widespread misconception that I don't think some people, even people who work within the industry and are very well informed and actually get how this works, um, can fall into this trap of thinking you all are doing the same thing and know everything and are all part of the same successes and mistakes. When there's just different teams and half of you don't even know what each other, most of you don't know what most of you are working on. Like, Like when I talked to, I remember I was talking to someone at AMD a bit ago, and I was like trying to get information on a specific product and he could speak to this part of the product, but not the other. And I had another source, you know, because a lot of these leaks come like putting it all together and then trying to construct a big picture. Like it was like, well, why would he know this and not this? And I'm like, I think you just fund I said to this person, you fundamentally underestimate what this person at AMD cares about what other people are working on. His job is to work on this part of this server chip. And that's why he knows this part of this server chip. Why would he know? anything about the io controller if he's working on the core part why and why would he know literally anything about rdna3 like these company you don't know everything that's going on with every architecture right Right. like and i think a lot of people assume that and like that's where a lot of misconceptions come as well at least from the stuff i work on right is like well why did you know this and how could you not know that and it's like or why did this succeed and that fail and it's like well these were all different teams right Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess let me ask this question. Rafa Zaya writes in and he says, Hello, Tom, an anonymous guest. I'm curious if internet fanboy drama has ever had an impact on the anonymous's get the anonymous guest's day-to-day work. Thank you both. Has has any of the like have you ever seen comments online that like bothered you a lot? Or for the most part, has it just been filtered into noise or something? I think when I was uh, in the earlier years, uh, when I was just uh, out of college, and hey, Intel gave me my first shot. I was I was so drawn in by the company, 
and I, I, I didn't have an experience of handling the uh, fanboyish comment from mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the competitors. Yeah, I used to get under my skin. Um, I think uh, I've become a lot more mature in handling that. I, I think for the first few years, uh, until I all and also something that I've discovered recently. Uh, well, it, in the not 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 recently per se, but uh, this year. Uh, even though I try to, uh, and I'm trained, I'm specifically trained to avoid biases as much as possible. Even even then, I I feel like I've I've been seeing things through. Uh, uh, blue-colored uh, Intel glasses, right? And I've been uh, I've been trying to um, evaluate and uh, look at things more objectively. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm curious if you don't mind me asking. Then, like, what were those? What do you think some of those early filters on the blue glasses, if you will, were that made you that you've noticed? For example, some of the claims uh, that sales and marketing puts out on different uh, types of performances on, say, Tiger Lake or Ice Lake server. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of took their words over what some of the third-party reviewers might have been saying and some of the more holistic pictures of competitiveness of Intel. Um, mm-hmm. Also, uh, taking uh, um, the manufacturing side of Intel at, at their word, you know, that, mm. oh, 10 nanometers got to be ready in six months or, you know, our yield, yield curve is going to be uh, production ready and uh, certain. And I, I really uh, thought that a state of 10 nanometer w- would would be as bad as it, it would have been at, at, at hindsight, if, the, if you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I absolutely know what you mean. I yeah. I worked at General Motors, which is a company that's actually a little bigger than Intel, the amount of mm-hmm. employees it has. Yeah. This was a constant thing. Like I frankly, I think when I got to the company is when they were kind of like out of the rough patch. So I got to see what it was like when it was firing on all cylinders again. But there was still these remnants of like, you know, the 2008 to 2012 era of GM where they were like getting bailed out. They had entire plants that practically only made cars with issues that they had to fix and yet oh, wow. they had marketing you know that was like well no it's all great you know we really have this performance over here and there was a real reckoning at gm of like hey we're not going to be a company if we don't stop letting parts of our company lie to the other parts of the company if we don't start looking objectively at these metrics ourselves and that was it was a it was still a problem we had to deal with every now and then and it is i'm just trying to think of like even what to it's a it is a real challenge you know when that happens because you know why wouldn't it be true why would but i think you eventually what i realized you know working there for a bit is i mean even some of our suppliers i would look i would talk to which you know the equivalent would be amd talking to global foundries or tsmc i'm sure there are some employees that work at AMD that feel like some of their peers at TSMC feel more like peers than some people at another division of AMD where they're not really sure what they're doing sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I, I imagine that's something that Intel's just grappling with now. And that, that happens to any company that gets very large, frankly, is you almost become multiple companies. And then I think the challenge becomes making sure everyone's, really grown into a beehive that's as big as it is and hasn't just grown into separate beehives, right? I think this is uh, one of the things that uh, Pat has done pretty well since coming in. Um, twenty Late 2020, uh, late 2020, 2021 was um, 
it was a big wake-up call moment for the company, at least my division of the company. Since that Zen 2 moment in 2019, uh, sort of felt like, oh my goodness, are we going to have a future at the at this rate? You know, um, uh, look at look at how competitive they are just uh, on the most objective bench, uh, benchmarks that uh, we have for performance and look at their roadmap and uh, how are we even looking to compete, you know, in the, in the next uh, three, four years or uh, four or five years? You know, what is a five-year trend line going to be? And mm-hmm. Pat did an enormous job in bringing back raw honesty of, uh, hey, this is, we are, we're a broken company. This is where we are at. It's going to take some time, uh, but everyone has to be uh, radically honest with each other. Everyone has to communicate more. And sort of um, the first step towards recovery is admitting that you have a problem, right? And mm-hmm. Pat's been good at uh, guiding us through that and and say, hey, this is where we're actually at. Um, this is... Uh, and if we don't execute better than we've ever uh, we've been for at least last you know five or five to ten years, we may not Intel may uh, we may have a future, but Intel may may not be the uh, company. It, it, Intel will never be the same company uh, that has been reputed for. Uh, uh, well, the good part of Intel, uh, a good part of uh, Intel's uh, reputation over the uh, last few decades, right? For example, yeah. Mm-hmm. Robert S. Barnes writes in, and he says, Hi, guys. I have a friend who's an engineer at Intel here in Israel who describes a general enthusiasm for Pat Gelsinger, but at the same time, several problems in mid- and lower-level project management. How deep are the management cultural problems in your experience, and how do you think they can or will get fixed? Yeah, I think um, this effort actually started before Pat. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, uh, Intel is a very data-driven company, so we take data um, on everything from how uh, productive in the, uh, how in general productive in each individual engineer is to uh, the, uh, um, what the results are across the whole team there was a, a big perception even internally um, that Intel was a company with good to great engineers that's mm-hmm. being hampered by uh, mismanagement in the middle level and uh, there, there were. Uh, it, it seemed like at times where there are multiple engineering teams uh, which work on different part of the chip that were not uh, that that were competing, almost competing against each other, rather than working together cohesively to make uh, one product, uh, one product, one overarching product that they're working on. Just lack of uh, trust between the teams. That's uh, that's one of the and communication and trust between the teams that uh, that, 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 uh, that they found, you know, in their internal like looking at what we could do better. You're saying, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's that's sort of the type of problems that it could rise where um, a firmer team are uh, firmer teams expecting certain level of progress in the pre-silicon simulation or hardware components. But those uh, hardware and uh, pre-silicon uh, simulations team, they had a different um, schedules and uh, schedules and goals that they set for themselves, and they that didn't necessarily talk to the firmer team uh, that expected certain mm-hmm. features to be ready, certain uh, 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 certain prototype to be ready. Um, yeah, so th- these types of like misalignments in uh, um, priorities and priorities and schedules and goals uh um 
that's uh, that's actually that's hurt hurt us a lot in the um, past few years. That um, Pat's been uh, Pat and uh, the senior management they've been um, they've been trying to address. Uh, they've been trying to really nail this down and address. And every major ingredient teams have an, uh, a holistic picture of what everybody else is doing, and and have have the have the teams like open up to each other more and um, uh, be able to hold each other accountable for um, hey we need this uh, uh, this level of progress by this time or and and I can actually hold you to that and um, that, that those are the things that. Uh, uh, those are one of the uh, uh, efforts, one of the changes that I've seen j- just in the past three, uh, two, three years. Uh, that's been uh, remarkable. Yeah, from what it was in the, what it was before. Yeah, and that really does sound like a middle management thing, right? Like you might have a group of engineers who are doing a great job. Their manager is managing them well, but then mm-hmm. there's some middle manager. I mean, if you were to make like an analogy to like warfare or something, you got great squads, you got great platoons, but there's not like one general or colonel here saying making sure all the squads are in the right place at the right time right, right. like it doesn't yeah. matter how well they perform if at the top level they're not coordinating with each other towards one objective mm-hmm. um shredbird writes in he says hi guest how long have you been at intel well you probably don't want to say that specifically but <laughs> have you seen many changes in management though during your career and just in general now that pat's in charge how crucial do you think charisma and focus leadership is to the success of the company yeah, I so I I I can disclose uh, my uh, first CEO was BK, and mm-hmm. then I've gone through uh, Bob Swan and now uh, Pat Gelsinger. Uh, how about this? Uh, I I don't mean any disrespect to uh, past two uh, uh, past two guys who uh, were CEOs. I think, um, but I I truly feel like I can believe in Pat uh, or mm-hmm. and. And uh, his his ability his abilities to uh, execute on a vision and take back technical leadership and be a leading uh, leading company in the semiconductor in the, uh, computing industry. BK and Bob they uh, they were uh, especially well um, both BK and Bob uh, they're similar in, the, in in ways that they were optimizers. They uh, obsessed over. Uh, um, how much uh, this is going to cost in terms of uh, just minimal uh, sort of sort of like how can I optimize outputs per uh, minimum amount of input that's needed to get the result mm-hmm. and because they're so focused on financial bean counting uh, both of them and had uh, so uh, in the in the crucial moments that where uh, where frankly there was just much more investment uh, needed to be able to get to the uh, position of technical leadership, they made decisions to not to do that, and I felt like um, they uh, wasted some of the resource resource advantage uh, we had on things like stock buybacks um, that that uh, in. Stock buybacks, uh, which I I read an analysis where uh, stock buybacks don't really work over the long run. Um, mm. in in that, oh, yeah, in the short run, uh, it might be able to push up push push up the stock prices uh, higher than it uh, artificially higher than it uh, could it would be, be otherwise. But, yeah, yeah, but over the ten uh, over the five ten year period, um, 
that under uh, and the uh, the trade-offs of stock buybacks and not being able to actually uh, invest in uh, capital research de- research and development um, that actually ends up uh, that uh, that ends up hurting the company much more over the long run. And Pat's very, uh, I think, unlike BK and Bob, um, Pat's uh, Pat's obsessed over taking back technical leadership. Um, he is um, willing to double down, um, e- even if it means it will put company at uh, financial risk or um, uh, have couple of bad quarter, financial quarters in the short run, he's willing to uh, uh, invest that extra mile to make sure that we'll uh, to, uh, as, do as much as he can to make sure that Intel is a leading uh, uh, semicon- semiconductor computing technology company in the long run. So, so some of these multi, you know, multi-tens of billion do- billions of dollars that has been um, putting off in new fabs and, uh, you know, in Italy, in Ohio, in Arizona, in Oregon, um, although uh, financially speaking, uh, it, it could be really risky. Um, if uh, socioeconomic trends don't work out, if, if we fail to execute mm-hmm. on getting, getting, getting our way to... Uh, uh, having Intel 2018A in volume production in the future, um, that could collapse. Uh, that could potentially uh, collapse. The co- well, not not like collapse Intel, but it could c- put Intel in serious jeopardy uh, in debt or uh, in, in debt and financially. Um, but Pat is willing to take that risk. Um, he um, he's willing to say, "Hey, even though um, this." Um, uh, is certainly a beating on the short run, and there's a, there's certainly uns- uh, quite a bit of uncertainty in the long run. Um, he's willing to go that extra mile. Uh, he's willing to make make that bet uh, uh, on behalf of Intel for the future. I know um, he's gotten into trouble for some of these. Uh, um, I, I guess statements um, that have come off as arrogant, yes, like we're yeah, putting yeah, AMD yeah, in the rearview yeah. mirror and all yeah, that. Yeah, which I I, I disagree. Uh, yeah, I, I respectfully disagree with, but. You said you respectfully disagree that AMD is going to be in the rearview mirror moving forward. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I don't think by that you mean Intel's screwed. And I no, don't think that yeah. either. That's not what mm-hmm. you mean by that. It's just the idea that like Intel's going 80 and AMD's going 60 miles an hour from now on. I don't, I think we agree that's not true. Reese, you said you had an investment idea. Yeah, I don't know if spatulas are exactly an investment. You should probably just look into Masterworks. Reese here isn't the best at investing, but really, who can blame her? Historically, most people, and mammals in general, are locked out of the stuff the richest people get priority access to, like blue chip art. And that's why today's piece of content is sponsored by Masterworks. Masterworks is the platform for investing in contemporary blue chip art that before recently was typically only accessible to the super wealthy. Billionaires have been quietly diversifying their portfolios with art for years. Now Masterworks allowing investors like you and me to get in on the action as well. And the good news is that it's one of the highest performing alternative assets in recent history that's proven to be a good hedge against inflation so far. Become a distinguished art collector like Reese here and do so without waiting in line. That's right, if you click the special link in the description, you can not only help Moore's Laws Dead, and it really does help the channel a lot, but you can also sign up for Masterworks today without being on a wait list. Support Moore's Laws Dead and support your savings with Masterworks today. 
Mm-hmm. This is a good point, I think, to pivot into one of the discussions I was really looking forward to having with you. Like, if I were to have on an anonymous AMD engineer, I don't think he could really talk about Zen 4 because he'd be scared. He'd say something he can't say. Right. But yeah. some of my best conversations I have and brainstorming ideas for videos is talking to an AMD engineer about what they think about Alder Lake or talking to an Intel engineer about what they think about Zen 4. What do you think about Zen 4? I mean, AMD officially revealed, you know, 29% single threading performance increase, multi-threading that's 30 to 50% higher. The way I characterize Zen 4 is this seems like it's pretty clearly a slightly better than Zen 3 single threading increased and a decently better than Zen 3 multi-threading increase. So it's kind of like, you know, way better than Zen 2 single threading increase as well, but less than it. It's kind of, I think, in between Zen 3 and Zen 2 and how big of a deal it is, um, at least relative to their own increases, right? Um, would you agree with that? And just what, in ge- like, is Zen 4's performance better than you expected? How competitive do you think it will be? And just anything else that you find interesting about the architecture? Yeah, uh, I think they did a great, compelling job in node transition and frequency and uh, increases in performance in single and multi-threaded. Um, I'm happy. I'm happy for them, and that they made uh, they made that mar- their mark in uh, advancing computational performances available to uh, consumers. And they've been doing certain things, uh, frankly, better than us, su- such as having a longer uh, socket platform compatibility. For example, you know, uh, a consumer will be able to pick up a Zen Four and expect that they uh, they will have a solid upgrade path, uh, not just in Gen 4 variants, but in Zen 5 and possibly Zen 6. So I, I feel like they've, uh, they've, done a, they've done a great job. And, you know, obviously, uh, um, being able to pull up a, a successful chiplet die designs um, uh, over Intel's uh, typically monolithic, uh, uh, monolithic dies, um, that has, sort of has advantages as well. Um, I let, let me ask you this question. You brought up the socket compatibility and longevity. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's a meme that went around of like Yoda saying there will always be two, never three, but never one, you know, supported per Intel socket in terms of generations. Mm-hmm. How much of that do you think is Intel insisting on doing it that way? And how much of it do you think it is these things are planned out three to five years in advance and the decision to have both Alder Lake and Raptor Lake on the same socket? This decision was made three years ago, which means like around when Zen 2 was coming out and Intel saw no reason to stop doing this until maybe now when they're seeing the marketing benefit AMD is going to have being able to say, hey, we proved it. Five years you could use AM4. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like how much of it do you think is that and how much of it is oh, no, they could have put Meteor Lake on there and they just decided recently not to. And how much of it is they made this plan ahead of time. And if they ever wanted to support a socket for a very long time, it might not even have been possible until like LGA 1851, which is the first one that should use Meteor Lake. I think uh, Intel is sort of evaluating this from um, what what the consumers would uh, benefit uh, their their relationships with the consumers versus their relationship with motherboard manufacturers and OEMs that um, they, they, so they're doing a complex calculus on uh, how much market shares would we lose by having mm-hmm. making this decision versus you know um, uh, 
uh, I know all we our, our manufacturing motherboard manufacturers wouldn't be uh, happy if we had a, a socket compatibility for too long, um, mm-hmm. because then then the uh, then consumers would uh, see no need to buy a new motherboard, which would be great for the consumers, but uh, um, motherboard manufacturers uh, keep wanting to uh, keep, uh, want to keep selling motherboards, right? So mm-hmm. um, so yeah, they and. In, Intel, I think, chose to be on the side of the mother, motherboard manufacturers for now, and uh, bet that um, having locket, uh, longer socket compatibility doesn't mean uh, we would necessarily lose uh, substantial market share from that one decision. Uh, mm-hmm. Intel's made that bet. I, I think AMD's may, uh, made a different decision uh, uh, that's, uh, saying, hey, um, I, I think uh, this will... Uh, uh, having a very long uh, socket compatibility, uh, that that's one of the one of the things that could be a differentiator be- uh, uh, between uh, between Intel and us, and um, this will help us build a, lo- uh, a loyal fan base. Uh, one of the one of the factors that will help in building out a loyal fan base. Yeah. So it, it does sound like you're saying, oh, this wasn't some like old mindset that's still just going forward because of momentum this is a clear bet they're still making yeah mm-hmm. yeah um let me throw in a reader mail here um that can get us back to comparing amd and intel Elrisa writes in and says hey tom and anonymous i think there has always been a larger gap with the single threading performance difference between intel's lineup within a generation versus amd's chiplet lineups since intel has different physical dies for their lineup shouldn't it be easier to get a good quality bin on a smaller monolithic die than the larger larger dies, which are reserved for i9s. Since Intel never have any i5s that can clock as high or higher than an i9, doesn't Intel intentionally build their smaller dies performance cores differently to segment them? And I like this question because this is something that I really had a bone to, you know, <laughs> to pick where it, with this one here. Like with some of the people I saw in the Discord comments for the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, and on Twitter especially, more so on Twitter, when AMD officially unveiled Zen 4, where I saw a lot of people saying, hey, but remember, you know, we have this one, I don't know, right, Geekbench leak for the Raptor Lake i9, and that's going to be the same performance for the i5. And I'm like, you look at history, Intel's variance in single-threading performance between their i5 and i9 has been way larger than AMD's R5 and R9. Um and yeah it, having one uh, monolithic die means there's just a lot more variance just because of the how uh, one uh, one monolithic die turns out and uh, yield uh, how many cores can be enabled uh, what frequency it could be, it could be running at so uh, th- yeah and this is one of the advantages that uh, i think amd has by going going on a, uh, by employing a small chipless strategy versus um us, uh, although we although we are moving away from monolithic mm-hmm. dies, right? Because there's 120 millimeter squared of seven nanometer for the IO die in Zen four, and there's just like 71 or something millimeter squared per CCD, which means it's going to be pretty dang good yields, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. For yeah. that, and I think like here's a misconception right there. Elrisa says with different dies, well. Yes, but guys, the i5 12600K is using the same die as the i9 12900K. It's mm-hmm. six plus four, so they just dis- they've disabled a gray smock cluster. 
and two golden cove cores. And it's it's really the bottom percentage of yields going into those I-5s. That's why they can't clock as high. Whereas with AMD, especially another thing to point out with AMD is how they're sharing the same chiplets between Epic and Ryzen. Sometimes that means Epic gets literally the best yields. Oh my goodness, they're so resource efficient. I, I, you know, some if I'm looking at some of the designs decisions they made, a uh, way they are able to scale like uh, their server size into their desktop, you know, it, you know, their server dies into their desktop products, or um, they. I think uh, I, I just want to make a side comment here. Uh, among mm-hmm. the three. Uh, uh, major semiconductor computing companies. Uh, right now, at this moment, I, I think AMD is just making the most uh, uh, um, per e- either is per per die or per watt, uh, mo- making most uh, efficient decisions. Whereas, I think Intel and Nvidia, they are yeah, the, a- a- Intel and Nvidia, they're way more driven by having a to, uh, having the uh, performance lead in the in their top uh, top products that they released and some of the mid range products, uh, um, they there is more of an afterthought, yeah. Then uh, at least compared to what uh, AMD is doing, yeah. And it's interesting to like look at the differences in Boost because I think what you would see too. I'm like I'm I'm actually looking at Boost clocks between some CPUs right now. To like, I, I think. What you see is AMD's probably, I suspect we'll see, it could be wrong, 7600X will have a boost clock difference that's kind of similar to what you'll see between the R5 and the R9 comparable to Intel's i5 to i9. But I think the i5 boost clock to the very peak is going to be a little more fleeting. And, And the reason AMD can get away with this is sharing Epic with Ryzen means sometimes Epic just gets the best yields oftentimes, but there are different types of yields. So they may give Epic the yields that use the least amount of voltage, but only hit 4.5 gigahertz. That's fine for Epic. Whereas they might be able to take some of the worst yields, but hey, these worst yields can still under 100 watts hit 5.3 gigahertz or higher. And that's why Mm -hmm. the 7600X can boost so high or something, right? Relatively speaking. And being able to mix and match between Red Ripper, Epic, Ryzen, Soon, Dragon Range. Like, it's like they can literally take the perfect voltage and top clock speed binning and then use it for that design. Whereas with Intel, they're using one die only for consumer. They're not sharing this with servers. So there's, mm-hmm. there's a little less variance in how perfectly they can target a specific use case. So right. I think that's why you see the bigger variance in single threading performance between i5s and i9s but to be fair there is a somewhat similar variance with amd and i don't sometimes it's artificial but i don't think it is i think they really are just worst yields you know i don't don't think it's as artificial as people think in my experience most of my i7s have boosted higher than my i5s i've tested next to each other Mm -hmm. you know it's similar voltage so i guess um i'm trying to think of anything else to add to this here but I mean, I, I guess I want to start getting into this question. So Trogdor writes in, hi, Tom, an Intel engineer. One thing that really impressed me with the Zen 4 reveal was how area efficient the Zen 4 cores are compared to Alder Lake. 
Well, there was a lot of effort put into making the little cores. Why does it seem like the big cores are more area efficient, is less for priority? Are there certain IP blocks and instruction sets that Intel is just stubborn about? When AMD's little cores hit the market, will it make Intel's big little approach look silly? Thank you both for all your hard work. I can't wait for the next few gens of CPUs from both companies. Um, and I would just throw in here just for context. Like, for example... You know, a Gracemont core is about a fourth the size of a Golden Cove core, but a Zen 4 core, a full Zen 4 core with hyperthreading is about half the size of a uh, Golden Cove core. So it's just two <laughs> Gracemont cores. So it does make you call into question how efficient it is and how much, because I've seen people make this argument, like, are the little cores just there because that's the only way to scale performance without being limited by how many cores you can fit in a die at Intel? Yeah, I think position that Intel was uh, coming from with Alderloic was um, we we're so focused on taking back that uh, single-threaded leadership at uh, at all not not at all costs because every design is a trade-off. But we're more optimized on on these big uh, Golden Cove co cores outperforming Zen three and single-threaded. So. And because it was complemented with the E cores that are, like you mentioned, very area efficient, um, four core cluster, roughly size of one performance core with Skylake at level of IPC, uh, the uh, area efficiency of big cores uh, uh, at you know obviously there's a cost of you know cost of margins were deprioritized. Um, we uh, we had a had a mindset that. Okay, we we're gonna have these really big uh, uh, golden cope cores uh, take back the single core, uh, single to um, you know four, six, eight uh, threaded leadership, and for the any any like work, background workloads or uh, um, overall uh, multi-threaded leadership, we'll just throw in a bunch bunch of these very area efficient e cores to complement that, so that we have we're in a positions where we could have leadership on both single threaded and overall multi threaded so mm -hmm. uh, so i know go uh, their the design decision uh, golden cove um it it, it was uh, uh, it was certainly a sacrifice in area um they were just obsessed with having that uh, single threaded leadership um uh, over zen 3 yeah do you think are, are you specifically at least and do you think a lot of people at intel are surprised by how small Zen 4's cores are, or are they bigger than you expected, right? Because I think the overall CCD is the same size of Zen 2, mm -hmm. which I think, it's hard to say if that's bigger or smaller than people would have expected. I guess it brings another Zen 3 IPC, well, not, not IPC, Zen 3 single-threaded increase. So I guess it is pretty efficient. I, what, what do you think? Like, is Zen 4 efficient with its 5 nanometer space? Is it bigger or smaller than you expected? I, I I actually have to do uh, uh, more uh, more background work and analysis on this uh, for me to really answer this. Yeah, honestly. How impressive you think it is? You mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so let me pivot to this thing because this is a discussion I really can't even have with a lot of people. They have to have a, be a very specific type of person to have this discussion. Mm -hmm. um, looking back on what the rise and progression is look like, and I sent you this ahead of time, right? Like Zen Plus brought a 3 to 7% single threading slash multi-threading increase over Zen 1. Then Zen 2 brought like a 15% increase in single threading, but a 110% increase in multi-threading. Yeah. Then Zen 3 brought only a 10% increase in multi-threading, but a 25% increase in single threading. And now they're just, you can kind of see this leapfrogging back and forth since Zen 2. Now Zen 4, 
29% increase in single threading, but a 30 to 50% increase in multi-threading. So kind of still, it's Zen 4 is almost like a both situation, if you're being honest, but it still seems to focus on single threading pretty hard. From what I'm hearing, the way I'd put it this way, I, but, but I don't want to like leak a bunch of stuff yet, but like Zen 5, I think we can expect another 10 to 30% increase in single threading, but a 50 to 100% increase in multi-threading. So like more of a Zen 2-ish focus on multi-threading next time around. What do you think the focus should be on Zen 6? Because the AMD perspective, I think Intel's its own can of worms because of like the chiplet tile platforms you guys are moving to. So I'll leave that for its own discussion. But with Zen, it's easy to look at. They focus on both every time, but it usually seems to be a primary focus on single threading, then multi, then single, then multi. What do you think Zen 6 should focus on? Because if you're thinking about it, Zen 4 is another big increase. By the time we get to Zen 5, I mean, what? We're going to be looking at something that's like three times better than Zen 2. Like, where do you go from there with Zen 6? Because I don't think most gamers are going to need more single threading performance after Zen 5, let alone Zen 4. And I'm not sure how much multi-threading performance we need in consumers' products in the short term when a lot of programs can't even make good use of more mm-hmm. than eight threads. Like, right. where do you see <laughs> us going after Zen? What should what should Zen 6 focus on? Should they do no core count increase, double IPC? Should they try to give you 48 cores on AM5? Like, what do you think the focus should be? So we we are looking at Zen 6, we're looking at 2025, right? In terms of sort of the general timeline, right? Zen Zen 5 comes out um, early 2024. Yeah, I think probably late 2024 or somewhere in like mid to late 2025. Somewhere, yeah, 2025. That's when I think Zen 6 comes out, yeah. You know, uh, if I was AMD, I, I think I'd uh, focus on taking uh, single-threaded gaming leadership um, from Intel over the products that uh, we're releasing in 2025. Um, mm-hmm. While and. Uh, you know, while you know being able to credibly claim an efficiency advantage, uh, Zen three uh, took. Uh, I know I'll have. You know, if this was out in public, I'll have technical marketing sales fo- folks stopping by my queue with uh, pitchforks. But um, over comment at Rocket Lake, um, uh, Zen uh, that uh, being able to take back uh, single threaded uh, leadership in client, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think that's that's the most important. Uh, battle in context, um, even still, and I, 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 in the near future, in twenty twenty five ish from now, um, I, I think having that leadership in the first one to first, uh, first uh, w- uh, single to eight thread uh, is what's going to really determine how performance feels to an everyday, average everyday user. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if adding beyond, say, 24 cores... Or even 16, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, even six, 16 cores, 32 threads. I, I, I don't know. Um, outside of a true HDT work, workstation-type workloads or people who buy consumer chips for that uh, usage, I think it will be a bit of a waste. And maybe, you know, five or five years and beyond in the future, I'm sure software can grow to uh, software industries always uh, grow to take advantage of what's offered in hardware. Um, like they did, you know, when um, the mainstream chips topped out at four cores or six cores um, or four, six, eight cores, uh, whatnot in the um like five plus years in the future. But mm-hmm. I think for Zen 6 generation, uh, uh, if I was AMD, I would uh, take uh, I would focus hard on just taking back that single to uh, eight threaded first eight thread leadership. Yeah, 
Well, it's so interesting, be, well, and clearly I would say that's what Intel thinks, because you guys are focusing on eight big cores with pretty much every architecture I'm looking at over the mm-hmm. next few years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's interesting because I think people got so used to AMD going to eight cores when Intel was on four cores for a while, and they went to 16 cores, and they were like, all right, 32 next year, right? <laughs> and yeah. even all the way back when I was my channel was kind of in its early stages in 2020, I said, why? I mean, I'm glad I have 16 cores. I am, and I do use them, but I can't imagine why do you need 32? What are you doing? What are you doing with it? What do you? And it's like anytime they would give me a good example, it's like, dude, you you should buy Threadripper. What are you doing? Like, like they this idea of like higher core counts. It's hard for me to come up with a good example of how often that would ever help me. And I don't even. I'm not the typical user, so I would say eighty percent of the market does not need more cores for the next few years. Mm -hmm. Um, and. It, it, but at the same time, I do think focusing on multi-threading helped AMD a lot over the past few because of how behind, I would argue, the industry was in client-side and increasing core counts. And we were still using dual cores and laptops until Zen came out. Like, Yeah. I, I, would that, you that, agree that with me? That was really a missed opportunity for Mental. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I'll give you this. I, yeah. I agree that the probably the battle to win moving forward is having the best single threading. And then after that, the best accelerators in non-standard boosts like if you can have a neural engine that just makes web browsing twice as good as intel do that because they'll actually notice it you know right but yeah would you if we agree on that though that multi-threading actually isn't as important as some people are making it out to be moving forward would you agree with me though that over the past few years it had an oversized benefit compared to normal to have amd win multi-threading because of how behind client was right yeah Mm mm-hmm it's uh they uh they did a great job in uh sort of uh bringing the uh, client space out of the two four core era and that was a missed opportunity from intel and i applaud amd for making that call to uh add more cores in the client um but uh yeah looking at the general state of software um and what the uh what um majority of people use on day-to-day basis for the desktops and laptops um yeah it uh over 16 over 32 you know 30, when, especially when you're getting to 32 threads uh is it uh is it really that beneficial for consumers even if you're you know running you know two you know two things at the same time maybe there's some background tasks going on um how many? Yeah, how many threads do you really need? Uh, um, uh, uh, when a user is fully engaged in their primary computing task and with some maybe some background uh, apps going on, right? So, um, AMD made the right call at the time, but I think uh, just like ever increasing core counts, I don't know how beneficial that would be for consumers. Yeah. Well, so I think an interesting thing to bring up now is Zen 4 versus Raptor Lake segmentation because, and I put this out in my live stream that kind of added on in the beginning of it, the recent loose ends, it added on to what I said in my recent 7600X, 7700X like pricing analysis video where I think a lot of people are expecting Raptor Lake in the mid-range to just walk walk away with a raffle stomping of Zen 4. And from what I'm hearing, it might not be so easy because... Look, we know the price. The 7600X is 300 bucks, but I think there's a decent chance the i5's 350. 
And if it loses in single threading, but it it might win by 40, 50% in multi-threading, don't get me wrong. But how much does that matter to some people? Like you're paying 15% more for a little worse gaming performance. Like, do you think already you can kind of see AMD doubling down on the single threading, like with Zen 4 even? Or how do you, or at what point do you think people would still just go for the other option? Like, would people pay 15% more for worse single threading, even if like, and this is the argument I made, even if like, if you're buying a $300 CPU, you're buying this for gaming, aren't you? I mean, I, I don't know what you think about that matchup, like $350 i5 versus 7700x for 400, 7600x for 300. They win gaming. 7700x probably almost ties the i5 in multi-threading, but the R5 loses in multi-threading to the i5 quite a lot. Hmm. Well, uh, I'm not confirming any Raptor-like prices. I, I just want to um, uh, put that out there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not asking you to, but if that were to be the case, <laughs> as I put out in my past two pieces of content. Where do you think the balance is? Do you think Intel's got the good balance where it's like, hey, we lose single threading 5%, let's say, and it's probably not even 5%. If it is a loss, it might be a complete tie versus so you can have like 40% more multi-threading. If you don't feel comfortable talking about this, we can move on. <laughs> okay, I, yeah. All right, yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, what I will say is it seems like even though Zen 4 is really efficient when it needs to be, when mm-hmm. it needs more performance, it also can use a lot of energy. Yeah, and I- I'm glad that they're taking advantage of a higher wattage. Um, uh, like um, when they need to boost up to you know 170, 230 watts, uh, they can do that to match uh, Raptor Lake in the top end, uh, you know, mid to top and, end. And you think that's a good thing, right? right? Yeah, that's what I, you're saying. I I, I think so. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I was helping a friend plan out his build. Because he's like, he's on, he's got a Broadwell E, actually, he's got a Broadwell E engineering sample he got from eBay in 2016. He's got a 10 core he got for $240, which, hey, what a steal for that mm-hmm. time period. Yeah. But, but he's still using it, and it only boosts to 3 gigahertz on all 10 cores. He's got hyper-threading disabled to maximize boost and minimize security issues. And he is like desperate to get on Zen 4 or something. And he was talking to me how he wants to do like this itx build and like if and, and i was advising him a case that was like 10 per, just 10 percent, 10 percent bigger than his case that could fit a full micro atx and two graphics cards even though we're not going to do that anymore probably but it still means more space because um, the argument i made to him is i think you want to leave a little extra room in your case moving forward for better cooling because i don't think this is going away anytime soon and i guess what i'm getting to is I think the era of like 65 to 100 watt consumer CPUs on desktop is kind of gone. And the argument I made to him is basically if you're going to spend extra to get some weird Asus ITX motherboard for a Zen 4 processor and then compromise cooling, you're basically gambling. Oh, well, I'll never need to make anything bigger than this. And I said, I think it's much more likely Zen 5 and Meteor Lake and Arrow Lake on desktop, not on laptop, but on desktop, use even more energy than now because there's competition. And when there's competition, people will pay a lot more for the final 20% performance. That means power consumption is going up. Would mm-hmm. you agree that's just a constant? Like we're going up, we're going to 200 watts next, probably. And it's just going to be what it is because the only, because I make the argument the only reason we have like 
77 watt Ivy Bridge CPUs is because Intel didn't have any competition. Right. The Aster, yeah, Aster more competition. Uh, both companies, I, I think, are going to be using, take advantage of, uh, even if they have fundamentally very uh, uh, performance per watt efficient designs, as both companies are just co- continuously competing for the top end, um, the they are going to um, use as much wattage as the rest of the sort of the OVMs and the uh, uh, industries and the consumers are willing to let them get away with. Um, mm-hmm. Because having that uh, top performance over your competitor is just so important in the whole picture of like who who is going to walk away with the most market share, right? So, yeah. All right, so I want to start pivoting to some other questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, well, the anonymous server engineer writes in, who's also been on Broken Silicon a few times, and he says, Optane is a disaster in my opinion. How does Intel expect customers who have spent millions of dollars trying to certify their in-house applications to run on Optane only to have Intel pull the rug out from underneath? I can tell that is what most enterprise professionals hate the most. Don't pull the rug out from me when I'm trying to plan something years in ahead. I'm going to be honest, I'm going to have a hard time forgiving this. And and this is, again, the Optane thing really surprised me. Like, I know some people were like, and I would argue these were like armchair experts going, well, we all could see this coming. But there were a lot of server engineers who did legitimately like Optane, even if I guess some people didn't. Um, How would you answer his question? I just want to clarify that uh, asking Optane was a very, very difficult decision. and for so many involved. And I know for a fact that Intel lost quite a bit of sort of a repertoire credibility by axing, uh, choosing to uh, ax Optane to uh, focus on the uh, focus on these very core the XPU um, plus, you know, FPGAs and uh, other server platform peripherals. Um, some of these uh, workloads that I, I personally saw um, accelerated by uh, having obtained, uh, fully uh, decked out uh, Optane memory on a server platform, it certainly shows so, it shows so much promise. And I, I'm personally disheartened that Optane was axed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess at the same time, um, some of the ways that uh, um, from from DRAM to solid, uh, some of the advanced solid state drives, uh, some of the alternatives uh, emerging around Optane, mm-hmm. um, as well as Intel's just need to focus uh, in order to uh, really have a future and having leadership in these uh, very core areas. Uh, the company decided to uh, move move on without Optane. Yeah. Hmm. So I guess all you're saying is this, all, all you can, if, uh, tell me if I'm, you know, yeah. characterizing your answer wrong, but it sounds like you're saying, rest assured, this wasn't an easy decision. And yeah. Intel's just as happy about it as its customers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, these are just the decisions sometimes you have to make at a company. Um, I really don't know what else there is to say about it, except that, yeah, everything that we've just said. Crazy, what is it? What's this message over here? 
You want treats, belly rubs, walks, and to not overpay for Windows keys. Well, I can definitely handle the treats, belly rubs, and walks on my own. I can't help Reese with getting reasonably priced Microsoft keys without CDKeyOffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by CDKeyOffer.com, a long-term sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead and its community for any time someone in my community needs reasonably priced Office or Microsoft operating system keys without paying excessive monopolistic pricing but that's not all they offer either they also have great deals on playstation steam origin and uplay keys and physical products like gaming chairs and keyboards and mice as well they are always running sales but make sure you use the best code possible provided for Moore's Laws Dead fans for the biggest discount. Use the links in the description or on screen and then the code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows codes or die shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Being on these links really does help the channel a lot and using the offer codes helps it even more. It keeps CD Key Offer as a reliable sponsor for this community and for you to use again in the future as they keep sponsoring us. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today but I do want to move on then to Sapphire Rapids for a bit here. Cause there are a lot of people with questions about Sapphire Rapids. Okay. Um, and I know you, I don't know if you've already said it, but th- didn't you want to say something first before I start getting into the reader mails about it? Yeah. Um, my, uh, uh, fellow engineers and employees working on Sapphire Rapids. Um, uh, if you're listening, I, I just want to first tell you um, that um, we've been a uh, uh, whole company's been looking, uh, uh, um, looking up to you guys. We've been inspired by your uh, uh, tenacity and dedication um, in midst of uh, just mountain of monumental challenges that we had on Sapphire Rapids. Um, and I know it must not have been easy when. Pat is calling you out in front of the company as unacceptable or um, some of the other uh, actions and uh, things that, that's been uh, taken. Uh, I just want to say we're not ashamed. We are, we're proud. We, we're proud of what you guys been, uh, what's got, what you guys been able to do in spite of the challenges. And you guys are almost there. Um, just give it one, uh, just give it one last push. Every time I get that email, uh, high level um, email going out on Sapphire Rapids of, you know, which milestone you guys are at. It's not just uh, executives uh, commenting on those email threads. Uh, it's uh, everyday engineers uh, uh, being, uh, being proud of what you guys been uh, able to achieve as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just one of my questions was, though, I mean, it, I don't know how much you can talk about it. I think you said you could actually like what is going on with Sapphire Rapids? Because I honestly, I expected it to be out a year ago, frankly. Um, yeah, at least. I, yeah, I expected it to be out at the end of last year, if I remember correctly. It's already hard for me it, to it remember. Was, it was supposed to be a one-two punch with, along with Alder Lake, but uh, mm-hmm. we we missed that second piece. Um, at a very high, at a high level, uh, what mm-hmm. happened with Sapphire Rapids was, um, uh, well, for for context, um, in the Sky Lake and Ice Lake past server programs, um, we made a lot of customers, high-priority high customers upset. Oh over the level of uh, 
uh, a level of quality and uh, amount of amount of bugs that uh, we had after the launch and we had to go on task force mode for months and uh, sometimes months at a time uh, of a product that's supposedly have launched. So uh, Sapphire Rapids, while we were getting to Sapphire Rapids, we made, we sort of uh, uh, doubled down on call in focus. And when we do launch, we're going to have a quality product, right? Um, uh, so that's uh, that's the context that uh, Sapphire Rapids was coming from, and what ended up uh, happening was it was a mix of um, Intel being really ambitious on Sapphire Rapids. It's the first to get to you know DDR5 CXL uh, accelerators on AI, um, new architecture with new transistor node. Um, and uh, Intel's first design um, uh, on servers moving away from monolithic dyes and uh, utilizing e- EMIBs and four dyes fused together. And it, it could be described as a moonshot project. And uh, I was going to d- bring that up, right? It seems like a lot of this is moonshot stuff over, you know, when things get delayed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so there are a lot of just fundamental engineering challenges and uh, what... Uh, Oh, and the two factors that also contributed to um, Sapphire Rapids way way it is is um, there were too many incomplete uh, uh, some of the specifications that were uh, defined uh, that were defined as features in at the big early phase of the projects were uh, inadequate um, across. Uh, inadequate and uh th- th- there's that classic problems of engineering teams uh not collaborating with, with each other well and uh they meant one thing but um suboptimally de- defined specifications and uh combine that with uh there's a lot of um uh, there's a lack of uh, adequate uh, pre-silicon level of coverage so and once you are um having an actual silicon to start working on, uh, you're already on the second half of the project, right? Um, there's mm-hmm. there's a pre-silicon phase and there's a post-silicon phase. And by the time that uh, SPR uh, got to a post-silicon phase and just realized just how many high-priority uh, bugs uh, that they had, it, it was in a sense too late, right? We, uh, mm-hmm. we, uh, we could defi- architecturally feature-wise define things better earlier. We could have had a lot better pre-silicon simulation models and coverage that would allow uh, hardware and software team, hardware, software, firmware teams to work on uh, mitigating these would-be bugs. um, That ended up not happening. And because of uh, these factors, along with uh, Intel wanting to really nail down on uh, uh, what the level of quality is going to be at, at launch, they ended up having uh, so many uh, hardware steppings to uh, just uh, fix those, fix these, bu- uh, uh, these um, mountains of uh, high priority bugs um, over multiple steppings. And to make matters worse, uh, as we are about to really launch uh, earlier this year and started, and, and we already started shipping SPR at that at that point, there was a critical security bug that uh, we could have mitigated with firmware, but we decided um, because of uh, how big it was, uh, it was not the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we added uh, another stepping on top of that, right? Uh, of so many steppings that we had uh, to um, to work through, uh, 
uh, work through um, just uh, a backlog of high priority bugs, um, we added another stepping for to fix critical security bug that we found as we are just in the final validation phases. So it kind of sounds like it's like a perfect storm. Like we've talked yeah. about cohesiveness, communication issues at Intel. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then on top of that, we're also talking about a moonshot design. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like the, it's it's a synergy then between what issues could pop up and how many could be possible because of how ambitious the design is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Carbon Cry writes in and he says, what is going on with the monolithic variant? The reason given for SPR not launching, as far as I can tell, with the chiplet is because it's the chiplet version. So why don't we already see the smaller core count monolithic SKUs in the wild? This is the thing I launched is called Fishhawk Falls, which is so talking to other people from what I hear. It's in validation. And he says, were they always intended for a later launch than SPR? Or is Intel waiting for the chiplet variants so they can launch the full stack all at once? I don't know if you can confirm that part. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh. Um. <laughs> don't say anything you're not okay. allowed to talk yeah. about, right? Like, I don't, okay, yeah. don't risk it. But All right, yeah. But I mean, like, I guess the question is, and I think this part is probably safe to talk about. Like, my, my from what I always heard is uh, Fishhawk Falls was supposed to launch. Well, I guess it depends how you look at it, right? Because if you say Alder Lake and SPR was supposed to be a one-two punch, my understanding was Fishhawk Falls was supposed to come like half a year after SPR or something. And then my understanding about half a year ago from now was uh, Fishhawk Falls and SPR were supposed to come out at a similar time. Um, so are, are some of these bugs also in Fishhawk Falls? Or is Fishhawk Falls just always going to come out after SPR? Because I do think this is a fair question. Like, how many so of these... Is, go oh, on. Yeah. So there's uh, certainly execution priorities. So, hey, we're going to launch this core count, uh, this type of SPR first, and you know, followed by this, this, and this. There's mm-hmm. there's that. There, there's that. And some of the bugs that are present in SPR is, were present in across all implementations of SPR. Yeah, that, so, yeah. That, the, right, so it's not yeah. just like, it's wrong to assume it's because it's a chiplet thing, necessarily. Like, there's just things that need to be fixed, and it's not always because it has chiplets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I guess then let me ask, um, Nethrasync writes in, and he says, Hi, Tom and guest. I've noticed with Sapphire Rapids, TDP is up, base clocks are down, and the focus on accelerators for workloads. Like, how... Much of an impact do you think accelerators will make on making Sapphire Rapids competitive? Oh, um, this uh, I, I, th- these are built-in accelerators we have for AI networking security. Um, this is what's going to, uh, especially now that we're going to have to compete with uh, ninety-six core Genoa servers. Um, this is what's going to uh, save um, Sapphire Rapids and. Um, um, uh, help Intel uh, maintain this uh, server, at least hold server mindshare till the Grand Rapids uh, Sierra Forest generations comes uh, comes out. Um, for example, um, I, I want to be careful in speaking on Sapphire Rapids, but for example, on uh, Milan versus Ice Lake, um, mm-hmm. um, just looking at uh, uh, raw spec and single and multi-threaded performances. Ice Lake was kind of embarrassing, um, or or at least the multi uh, multi core. Uh, looking at just raw spec and multi core performances, but um, Ice Lake sold a lot better than uh, expected because of um, 
some of these uh, instruction set advantage accelerators um, uh, that made a world of difference in high-performance computing and AI and some of these scientific workloads where we were uh, out, uh, object, uh, objectively outperforming AMD by 50% or 2x or um, uh, and et cetera. Um, and because of we had those uh, advantages, uh, Ice Lake was able to hold against Milan, and I expect mm-hmm. the situation will be similar. Uh, Sapphire Rapids versus Genoa, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I know Genoa has some accelerators, but I don't think they have as many specific and di- should I say differentiating ones as compared to what you have. Whereas Sapphire Rapids seems to truly differentiate itself in what it can do with some tasks because of its accelerators, right? Right. Yeah. And so it seems like you think, and I feel like we're coming back to this, moving forward, the accelerators in a lot of these products, that's going to be what differentiates these products a lot of the time. Like once we get into, you know, hundreds of cores and insane single threading performance. Yeah, for sure. If you look at some of the high high performance computing workloads and high performance computing cloud and AI inference workloads, um, despite the core count deficits of Ice Lake, they were we were able to uh, outperform a uh, 64 core uh, Milan with uh, our 40 core uh, our 40 core products, and that's what's been keeping uh, Intel uh, uh, grounded so far. And uh, there were some really, uh, frankly, after Zen 2 server came out, there were some frankly very dire projections of how quickly Intel server market mindshare was going to collapse. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what uh, uh, what's been keeping uh, 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 holding up Intel so far in the servers and data centers. Yeah. Well, I know your time is limited. So on that note, though, of like unique advantages Intel has, I want to kind of skip over some of the Alchemist and XE stuff, which frankly, I'm kind of tired of talking about personally. Okay. Yeah. So if there's one thing to cut in our discussion due to time, it's going to be Intel graphics. But I'd like to talk about intel mobile socs and i've got two final questions here one i'm just going to read both and i want to launch into as much time as we can have to talk about intel's possible advantages in mobile so kenahoon 25 writes and he says hey tom and guest i remember the last die shrink with tom and carbon cry that they discussed intel improving graphics on meteor lake and arrow lake cpus as new nodes and architectures become available is this a potential secret sauce they can use to improve competitiveness to differentiate their t- your tile system versus Intel's chiplet system? Is there any other secret sauces coming for Intel for improved CPU performance that you can talk about? AMD is able to just stack 3D cache on their CPUs every gen after they release, and it sometimes just feels unfair. Like Intel catches up and then AMD just throws another 15% on top a few months later. Thanks for all that you do. And then also I'm going to throw in here Gwen Farron writes in, is there an air of confidence and or cockiness around the future battles of Zen 5 versus Meteor Lake and Arrow Lake? Um, or are things hairy in the design lab? And again, thanks for what you do. Also, Tom, give Reese some scritches for me, please. Um, okay, so that's kind of the final thing I want to talk about is uh, at Hot Chips, Intel announcing, and I think we could have kind of inferred this, but literally making it clear, Meteor Lake is a platform as new nodes come available, they could die shrink meteor like bring in new cores, bring in a battle mage tile if it's ready early, bring in Lion Cove tiles from Arrow Lake if that's ready before the rest of Arrow Lake's ready. Is there a feeling of a lot of confidence around this, or is this a major advantage you think you're going to have against Zen 5? And just I don't know anything else you can really discuss regarding this strategy because it is interesting. Yeah, I, I think 
being able to um, mix and match uh, different types of tiles that are uh, that would be ready at that time. It, it, it will basically intercept uh, tiles uh, per each uh, upcoming generation of products. That could be a major advantage uh, if uh, we are able to intercept the right uh, uh, right generation of uh, right generation of t- tiles at the right time. But it also um, one of the uh, challenges that Intel had in their execution was uh, of uh, major uh, major products was hey uh, we have uh, CPU uh, CPU tiles completely ready, but uh, we don't have the mm-hmm. I/O tile or I/O tile completely completely ready yet or the gpu tile or um uh or, or gpu part of uh, gpu part of the chip um so this is both a major advantage if it uh if we're able to intercept the right kind of tile at the uh at the right time and also mitigation strategy if um so, uh if one of the uh, one of the major uh components of a chip um falls behind um, we are able to still launch the product on time with the current or past generation uh, tile. Yeah. So, and, and it's interesting because I, I guess with Sapphire Rapids, there was nothing before it to pull up, right? Sapphire Rapids is the first one. So mm-hmm. if stuff goes wrong, the whole thing's delayed. But you're saying moving maybe to Emerald Rapids and then Granite Rapids and Diamond Rapids. Like what? Now that you'll have a base, maybe this can allow other architectures to mitigate half of the bugs if they're coming from one of the tiles and just pull up a generation, mitigate right, and pull up right, some yeah. new generation early. And that, mm-hmm. yeah, and so that's probably going to be something that benefits a lot of upcoming Intel products. Then, right? Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of my final questions then is, I mean. All these issues with Sapphire Rapids you talked about, and I, and I, I, I can kind of guess what the answer is going to be, but still, I have to ask it. Like, do you believe enough lessons learned have sufficiently been generated from what's gone on with Sapphire Rapids to mitigate this happening? Because a big problem I have when I talk to some people in server is they're like, okay, well, Sapphire Rapids is coming out now. I don't know, basically an entire year late, if not more. Can we really be so sure Emerald Rapids is going to be a one-two punch? Because everyone's assuming Emerald Rapids is going to not come out until the end of like 2024 or 2025 now. Or not everyone, but some people just because... And I think you can understand, right? Like they're like, well, yeah, Sapphire Rapids... I can Rapids. understand, yeah, that line of thought. I, uh, um, one of the things that uh, I, I, I really see as an encouraging signs of the company cha- ways the company is changing is they're uh, learning very quickly uh, their mistakes very quickly and they make a full analysis of what went wrong um they do all sorts of uh uh they take all sorts of metrics and they are able to uh have mitigation uh um uh, strategies put in pay- place for uh future upcoming products so i i can say uh some of the challenges that we had on sapphire rapids we do not have uh, we almost do not have it at all in the future upcoming server programs of uh, uh, for example um although i mean i'm saying that now uh, i <laughs> I, sure. I don't know what uh because because um some of these pro- uh projects right you you have to go you have to see where things stand at a certain uh certain milestone right like when the chip starts coming back from the fab you know what what does it really look like right so um but um in all sort of 
uh, measurable uh, indicators now of where uh, how uh, how SPR looked versus how Grand Rapids and Emerald Rapids is looking at a similar place in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just looking a uh, world of difference better. Yeah, I, I can well, say that. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. You know, because and, and just to be clear, and it's so I just man, people have short memories, like. I remember when Zen 1 came out, and then Zen Plus, and then Zen 2, and I remember there were comments on, like, Tom's Hardware's forums, Tech Power Up, WCCF Tech comment sections, where people were just like, yeah, well, maybe AMD has Zen 2, but it's, you know, we all saw what happened after Phenom, you know, it just fell apart, and, like, why? Yeah, I I think people had a hard time believing that once AMD got it together, they had it together. <laughs> and mm. I, to be fair, you guys are going to have to prove it with Emerald Rapids coming out like arguably six months or so after Sapphire Rapids to prove that things are back on track. But it sounds like you at least think that like the lessons learned from like Ponte Vecchio and Sapphire Rapids, like it, it might just be another AMD situation again where it's like, hey, guys, no, we really did figure it out, even though it looked rough for a while. Right. Yeah. The, um, and I hope to uh, speaking this from an objective uh, perspective and not just uh, hopeful until engineer perspective. Um, mm-hmm. I am seeing hard data uh, per uh, where the project is at uh, um, this at this milestone. You know, how, how does it look compared to uh, SPR? Yeah. So and, far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm I'm glad to hear that because. Uh, you know, before we started recording, I was going to wear my Moore's Law's Dead shirt, but I was like, wait, why don't I, uh, why don't I wear my Intel shirt to make you feel a little more comfortable coming on here? <laughs> and it's, you know, I want you guys, I, I, anytime people ask, like, what are you hoping? It's like, dude, honestly, what I'm hoping is everything we talk about comes out early with double the performance expected. I want Intel to succeed as much as possible because that can only benefit us. And it's like, so many things around my house, like I have tons of Intel stuff. Mm-hmm. I want Intel to succeed. And I would just hope that well, I, I would just hope that everyone knows that's true and that uh, I, I really hope everybody is rooting for it, too. I mean, I know I can be harsh to some of these companies sometimes, but it's it, it's not because I uh, want Intel or anyone to fail. You know, the opposite of uh, hate is indifference. I, it's because I care and I really mm-hmm. do want you guys to succeed. Yeah, appreciate you saying that. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have an Intel shirt, you know, <laughs> unless mm-hmm. I wanted you guys, unless I liked you guys at least a little. Sure. Um, but I know you got to get going. I, I yeah. know you've given me as much time as you could. I really want to thank you for coming on. Any final words? Any last things you want to say? I just want to know if you have any like feedbacks of how I could improve next time. I, this was my very first time doing something like this. So I, um, sometimes the words d- didn't come out in the right moment, the right way. So yeah, I, I don't know. What do you think? The best advice I could give is just, you know, if you come back on, which it sounds like you'd be willing to, um, yeah, just have a beer and relax. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? All right. Yeah. It'll be fine. You know, we're not here to, it does not benefit me to make any of my guests have a bad time. So right, okay. like, if there's any problems, like you'll know, and like, we'll cut something. If I half of the time I've had, not half of the time, but there has been times like ra- rarely where a guest will say, Hey, I thought this part of the conversation could have been improved. And it's like, we already edited it. Do you need to tell me like, you know, I'm on your side because the better 
conversation benefits me mm-hmm. and a good conversation isn't one where I'm just making a guest uncomfortable. <laughs> like that doesn't okay, benefit me. Got to. You know? yeah. So I think you've done fine would be the final thing. Um, but I right, appreciate that. Yeah. All right. But otherwise I just say to everyone listening, you know, make sure you're subscribed to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel. Ring the bell button, subscribe to the Patreon where you'll get access to podcasts like this early and ad free. You can ask guests like you know, anonymous Intel guest questions and, uh, you know, give us a review on Apple podcasts. If you enjoyed it, that really helps us a lot as well. Tell your friends about us. And otherwise, thank you to everybody uh, for listening. Have a good one. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Fole, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Jeremy, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Shredbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valko Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spamtum G. Spamtum, Jonathan, Lord Starscream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Gregory S. Acker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lovoy, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Licky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Zarcastro, Stephen Hart, Jason B., Mead and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zoot Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Semi Malan, 
Moss, Greg, Ah Trini, Patrick Rowe, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Zinni Nguyen, Stephen Dick, Tumi, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Delmin Peterson, James Anderson, Y Tree, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithio, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Koladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Brendan O'Connell, The Grin, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nicoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerem Ferreira, Mayor, Desis, Thomas Steve, Precision, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Jean, Jean O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushba, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Neth Rizink, Damon Eastland, Cal, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Sinsringen, Jeff Sandler, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winsar Joker, James I. Radner, Corey Leonard, Niam Lima, John Shin, Justin Bussell, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shea, Julian Licht, Corey Chappelle, Evan Dingle, C2, Timothy Baldridge, Samuel Park, Radiant Technologies Group, and thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs>